I'm Colleen, and this podcast is an inside look at recovery, which I define as a lifelong journey to get out of your own way. Recovery is about healing the past, finding meaning in the present, and creating a future that's in alignment with your purpose and values. Join me for mindset upgrades that move you from worry and regret to resilience and confidence. I'll share easy strategies for how to feel better without having to make major changes. Because it's not what you do, it's who you are. Self-care is the path to recovery. Because our needs are not negotiable. So in this episode, I'm going to do a deep dive into what makes alcohol addictive and how it's possible to be addicted when you don't even realize it. You know, I have a master's degree in health coaching with a concentration in applied nutrition, and I was able to live quite comfortably in the town of denial for a very long time. And... I honestly don't know that I was ever exposed to the fact that alcohol is a drug or that it's a depressant. You know, as a think about how we live in our society and so many people are on antidepressants. And why do we take those? We take those to deal with the anxiety and the depression that we're dealing with in everyday life. Think about how alcohol is a depressant. It's the opposite of an antidepressant. And yet many of us have no idea that drinking it on a regular basis is what's causing the anti or the anxiety and the depression that's sending us to the doctors to get the drugs. And of course, if you're like me, you're not real honest with the doctor about how much you're drinking. And doctors really aren't trained to discuss, you know, alcohol use you know, unless you come up and say, well, I'm an alcoholic, and then they're going to send you to AA. But in terms of, of social drinking and the normalization of alcohol use in our society, it's just a given that, that drinking is, is part of your normal life. And doctors very rarely tell you that you should never drink at all. You know, if you come in and check the right boxes of, you know, what did I always used to say that it's, I drink socially, I always used to say I drink three to four days a week and I have two to three glasses at a time. My doctors never blinked at that, even as they offered me antidepressants or whatever drug to help me deal with you know, whatever issues I was facing. Nobody ever told me that I shouldn't be drinking at all. And so I had no idea that I was actually addicted to alcohol. And the reason I didn't is because if when I asked myself the question, am I an alcoholic, that hid my addiction. My addiction was hiding in, you know, kind of two things. First, my ability to function. I was very high functioning. I had things to do and places to go and people to see and boxes to check. And I did all of that every single day. Granted, it was getting harder and harder as my tolerance grew to keep up with myself, but I couldn't possibly be addicted in my mind uh, if I was still able to function. And then the second thing that I think offset some of the negative consequences of alcohol is that I am a health geek. Um, I had a multitude of health hacks, whether it be exercise and supplements. You know, I used to have hangover patches stuck to my ass that were the vitamin Bs, you know, and I would take milk thistle and I would take 
God, I can't even remember. Glutamate. Uh, I mean, you name it, and I was swallowing it. I, I take handfuls of supplements every morning trying to you know, support my body as much as I could to deal with the onslaught of poison I was drinking. And I truly believed that that offset the consumption, that it was like if there was two good things to, for every one bad thing or one every one drink. And I truly thought I was neutralizing the effects of alcohol. I, I thought that if my blood alcohol level was back to zero the next morning that you know i was i was at a clean slate and every single day i kind of participated in this detox to retox cycle where my whole day was focused on recovering from last night that was in the early time or early day and you know drinking a lot of water taking all my supplements exercising uh you know socially and and just in life, doing all the things, being a good mom, being a good friend, volunteering, working, seeing my clients. You know, I did all of that kind of uh, in in hindsight to earn my drink tickets for happy hour that night. You know, the only warning light on my personal dashboard that bothered me in my head was that I drank more than seven drinks per week. And if you've ever spent any time Googling shit online about alcohol, you'll know that anything more than seven drinks for a woman is the heavy drinker category. So I didn't like that. That didn't sound feminine. That didn't sound some, like something I wanted to be proud of. But at the same time, it felt patriarchal. You know, why are there different rules for women? That's bullshit. And why are men, it's socially acceptable for a man to have a whiskey at night. You know, why is there this backlash against women? You know, in some ways I saw drinking as a woman's right issue. It just tells you how screwed up you can get. But being from the 90s, you know, that song, you got to fight for your right to party. You know, I guess I, I was on that bandwagon. I'm not proud of it, but that that's the truth. I had no idea that drinking alcohol to excess was actually a problem. I thought it was just, okay, are you drinking and driving? No. Um, are you horribly hungover? No. You know, most of my drinking career, I felt fine. I didn't have any motivation to drink less because I was ignorant. I, I just had no idea. So I want to cover uh, the seven lies that we all buy into that perpetuates problems. And so the first lie I want to cover is that alcohol makes you happy. In fact, the opposite is true. You know, the more we drink in either a single sitting and over time, the less we are able to feel pleasure. It's true, of course, that there's an initial high. It does feel good to have that first drink. And the reason why is because it triggers two to 10 times the amount of dopamine in our brain that normal activities like eating or social connection or even sex do. You know, the problem occurs over time because everyday activities start to feel less and less fulfilling by comparison. You know, think about, you know, if you eat a lot of sugar and then, you know, so you, your go-to for your sweet tooth is a candy bar and then somebody hands you blueberries, the blueberries are sour and icky and you're like, man, you know, they're, they're not sweet. 
but the truth is they're you're just not used to the sweet and you're used to a chemically altered you know, high fructose corn syrup that has been designed to also trigger way more amounts of dopamine in your brain than normal things and so you just it's like the watermark the water level is so high you need so much stimulation in your brain to actually feel something that things that normally and naturally would be that lift in mood or reduction in stress calming things they don't have the same effect and what's more is that getting that really high level of dopamine from alcohol actually threatens our safety you know if you feel so awesome then you start doing really stupid things i mean that's how you end up married in vegas or jumping off the roof and so the brain naturally counteracts that high level of dopamine by releasing a neurotransmitter called dynorphin dynorphin anesthetizes our perception of not only pleasure but of any emotion it's kind of it has a numbing effect and so while sometimes when we're drinking, we're thinking that, you know, we're reducing our stress or, you know, maybe we're, we're consciously that, oh, knowing that we don't want to feel some sort of emotion. We're angry and having a drink will help calm us down, air quotes around that. But what happens is it does mute those feelings of anger or fear or whatever it is. We're also building a resistance to feelings of happiness and satisfaction and empathy. You know, alcohol isn't magical. It either mutes your feelings or it doesn't. And so when we mute the negative feelings, we're also muting the positive feelings. And the bottom line is that research shows that your mood is lower after a drinking session than before you even started. So, you know, what goes up must come down. And if it goes up artificially, it's gonna drop you on your ass. So, you know, if you have a baseline, let's say you're at a five out of 10 in terms of happiness or stress or whatever, and you have that drink and it boosts you to eight or nine, well, the, the counter effect is that it's gonna drop you to a two or a three uh, because that's what happens in the brain. The brain's designed to be in a state of homeostasis. And so whatever you do, it's going to counteract in some other way. Um, and if you think about this, if you're still using alcohol on a regular basis or even occasionally, notice how, you know, whether it be later that day or the next day, your levels of stress are usually higher. Uh, well, they not usually, they are higher, even for a casual drinker. You know, there's a boomerang effect and it there's a little bit of a bite in the ass for you. The second lie uh, that I really clung to is that alcohol helps you sleep. Alcohol doesn't help you sleep, it, it sedates you. It's more uh, in line with what you would get from being anesthetized, you know, like in surgery. So it does help you fall asleep, uh, you're passing out because uh, the sedative effect just shuts down parts of your brain, but then because the brain does release stimulants to counteract the sedation effects of alcohol, again, your brain's busy trying to keep you alive. Once the buzz wears off, stress hormones like the adrenaline and cortisol and norepinephrine are really high in your system. 
And so like if you fall asleep under the influence, you'll wake up after the alcohol is, you know, at least initially metabolized, your blood alcohol level is returning and then you're not able to get back to sleep. You wake up in the middle of the night just agitated, you know, or you sleep fitfully, lightly, restlessly. And, you know, the truth about alcohol is that it inhibits the natural REM cycles of sleep. So, you know, think about this. Here's what you may not know about sleep. I just read Matthew Walker's Why We Sleep, and oh my God, like it's so eye-opening. Also really cerebral and also really good to help you fall asleep. If you listen to it, you'll go right to sleep. But here's the truth about certain parts of our sleep cycle, our brain is more active than when we're awake, uh, than when we're awake. So our bodies are kind of paralyzed in REM sleep, but our brains are busy. And during that time is when we, you know, resolve emotional issues and replay certain parts of the day's events. You know, that's when we're dreaming. And REM sleep is extremely important to both physical and mental health. And alcohol inhibits or completely disrupts REM sleep. So you may be in bed with your eyes shut and unconscious for seven or eight hours, but you're not getting the deep restorative healing parts of the sleep, which is why over time we just end up so damn tired. Um, and, and as I've shared before, chronic exhaustion was one of the symptoms that motivated me to give up alcohol. I was so freaking tired and apathetic. I didn't even want to drink anymore which is sad, but also really helpful. I'm grateful for that. And so the third lie, moving through these, uh, the lie that I believed really is hilarious, is that a high tolerance, which I had, I could drink like a frat boy and you know keep up and even surpass a lot of men that I was drinking with, but a high tolerance is not a sign of a healthy liver or a genetic advantage. Both of those things I thought were true. I just thought that I had like a kick-ass liver. Thanks liver. And also I come from a long line of drinkers, you know, so I must just be bred to drink. I, this is who I am at a DNA level. And for those of us that can drink like professional rock stars, that tolerance is actually a sign of addiction. It's a sign that your brain chemistry has been compromised. It is not a sign of superior liver function or you know, some genetically superior race of drinkers. Tolerance occurs when the brain downregulates dopamine production because we are getting so much of it from the alcohol that the brain, again, homeostasis, survival, where it, it wants to prevent us from getting swept away in the currents of incoming alcohol-induced euphoria. And so as it downregulates that dopamine, both in general as we live our lives, but also in real time for those of us that can consume a lot of alcohol, um, we subsequently end up consuming more alcohol because that first drink didn't get us where we want to be. We're, we're not feeling it. It's not hitting us right. And so we have to drink more because our brain has developed the ability or the skill to keep the, the dopamine levels low. But in the meantime, it's still having to release the cortisol and the adrenaline to counteract the sedative effects. So that's why... Um, 
tolerant drinkers can walk without tripping and talk without slurring far more than less seasoned drinkers that are falling asleep under the proverbial table or getting tipsy, you know, the one drink wonders. We've, it, like I used to say, oh, I'm training for like the drink, the drinking Olympics. And th that's actually true. You know, my brain learned how to compensate for the high levels of dopamine. And here's the problem with that. This is why um, taking a break, you know, from alcohol doesn't reset your tolerance for very long. I mean, yeah, you can kind of come in and, and take a break and one or two drinks will kind of do you, but very quickly you're right back to consuming the same amount of levels you used to because this is a skill. Think of muscle memory. You know, once you learn how to ride a bike, it doesn't matter if you take 10 or 20 years off from bikes. You might be a little wobbly on the first the first trip out again, but your brain already knows how to do that. And this is why it's problematic to go back to drinking at some point because you're dealing with a professional drinker up there. Your your brain quickly slides back into old habits. And so it doesn't mean you can't, but it might mean that if you do, you have to try a lot harder and you are definitely putting yourself at risk for returning back to, you know, the hell that you probably worked real damn hard to get out of. And so you just have to weigh is ever reintroducing alcohol worth the risk, you know, why? Um, and that, that's for a whole nother thing. All right, so the next lie that I wanna cover is the one we tell ourselves over and over. Um, I'll just have one, maybe two. And so the question is why is moderation so hard for people who are otherwise disciplined? Because yeah, like where does our discipline go? But the truth is that brain chemistry is stronger than willpower and the less the more stress we're experiencing, the less willpower we have in general. You know that. That's a rule in your life. You know, the more stress you have, the, the more your discipline goes out the window. Um, especially like with alcohol use disorder, you don't even know you're in a fight. Like you don't even realize what you're up against in terms of brain chemistry and addiction. And so what happens when we go to start drinking is the first drink does feel relaxing and even a bit euphoric and our brain does what it does and we've got high levels of dopamine in our system and we feel great for about 20 to 30 minutes, you know, one drink, if you're just going to have one drink. But like I mentioned, what goes up must go down. And so as our blood alcohol level starts to fall, increasingly we feel more and more agitated. And, you know, if we're trying to have a drink to feel better and 30 minutes, 60 minutes in, we don't, then this, we start telling ourselves the story that, you know, well, screw it. Because now the alcohol has lowered our inhibitions. It has lowered our resolve. It has lowered our access to discipline because alcohol itself causes stress in our body. So even though we're feeling um, maybe more relaxed, there's there's stress going on at on the biochemical level and so you know our one our resolve to have just one wavers and so we keep drinking because we're wanting to avoid that come down what i called re-entry 
Um, and this explains why for, for me, and I know most of us, we tend to drink until it's time for bed because it's easier to sleep through that calm down um, than to be awake for that discomfort. And that is the crux of alcohol addiction. You know, we're not drinking so much every day to get high or because we want to party. We're drinking so that we don't, because we feel bad not drinking. Does that make sense? It's not that alcohol makes us feel good. It's that not drinking feels bad. And so we end up drinking to just stop the withdrawal, just to kind of feel normal. And because of that physiological process, telling somebody to drink less is like telling a sick person to cough less. You know, you might be able to control it for a while, but you have to try. It takes a lot of focus and effort and it's really uncomfortable. And so this is, this is why so many people find it hard to moderate. I think being sober is a thousand times easier than being a person who, especially after having had alcohol use disorder, and again, their brain knows how to operate with high amounts of alcohol, it's, it's so much harder, a thousand times harder, to, because you have to try to control it. You know, And if you have to try to control something, you are not in control of that. You're in a hostage negotiation with your brain. And it's just easier and far less stressful to not drink at all. And I don't know if that ever changes. You know, I, I'm two and a half years sober at the time I'm recording this, maybe a little more. And I don't ever want to go back to those battles. You know, will I still feel that way in 10 or 20 years? I don't know. I don't care. I may get hit by a bus tomorrow and it doesn't matter. So bottom line is, you know, especially for those of us that are drinking to relax, drinking to reduce stress, when we drink, we end up in an intense battle of will for control over ourselves. And that's not the definition of relaxation or, you know, anybody's idea of a reward. So the fifth lie that I want to cover really was one that I told myself. Um, I've mentioned in a previous podcast that I remember when I became a daily drinker, my relationship with alcohol shifted in that I needed a reason to not drink instead of a reason to drink. And so the fifth lie or the fifth lie that I want to cover is basically that, you know, drinking in moderation is harmless. And if you're not drinking and driving or you're not you know, not showing up for work, and if all of your boxes are checked and you're doing everything right, that it's somehow okay to drink. And I felt like, you know, the self-imposed limits of, well, I can't drink on a Monday. Like that started in my brain to not make any sense. Like, why wouldn't I drink on a weeknight? You know, life's too short to not eat on the good plates. You know, every day is special and should be celebrated. And that is literally the belief systems. You know, Maya Angelou's quote of, I am my most honored guest. Yeah, uh, that's true. So I'm going to eat on the good plates and drink the good wine and I'll be damned if it's Monday. Like, who cares? And so my belief that alcohol was a reward, alcohol was a celebration, 
really interfered with my ability to assess the reality that the more I drank, the less relaxed I felt. Because I did feel relaxed, you know, in the first 20, 30 minutes to an hour of when I was drinking. And then as I experienced increased agitation or anxiety, whether it be that night or whether it be the next day, I attributed that to whatever bullshit was happening in my life as opposed to the actual side effects of alcohol, which means that the more bullshit I saw in my life, the more I tended to rely on alcohol to feel better. And that's what the crux of addiction is, you know? And think about the first time, if you are a drinker, the first time you did like a weekend event, maybe it was in college, maybe, you know, tailgating and parties on Friday nights and that go all the way through Sunday, or like a a weekend wedding. Think about the process that happens there. You know, you get there, let's say it's a weekend, you get there and you drink your face off on Friday night and you wake up Saturday just screwed. So what do you do? You have a hair of the dog and then you promise yourself, you know, on the way to whatever event is Saturday that you're going to take it easy, but then there's an open bar and you don't want to be rude and everybody else is doing it. And then you have two or three glasses or whatever, and you're kind of back in business. And then Sunday, you wake up with an even worse hangover and you swear you're never going to drink again. But then, you know, there's a brunch and there's mimosa or a Bloody Mary. And what you don't realize is that alcohol relieves the pain caused by alcohol. So that is the cycle of addiction. When you are using alcohol to feel better because you drank, uh, welcome to you know, welcome to the club. You're officially in it. This is how I need a drink becomes a true story. So, and that leads us to line number six, that somebody who does need a drink is somehow an alcoholic um, and that other people are just normal. Anybody can be dependent on alcohol, just like anybody can become addicted to nicotine or opiates or cocaine or caffeine or sugar or your damn phone. You know, it's alcohol is an addictive drug. And the more you use it, the more dependent you become. And most of us think that an alcoholic is, you know, somebody who's really off the rails with alcohol and their lives are burning around them. You know, you've got your alcoholic that's drinking mouthwash out of a paper bag and living in a van and but that's only a small percentage of people that have drinking problems most of us are are very high functioning and most of us are suffering behind closed doors you know i didn't get a dui i didn't abuse or neglect my kids i didn't fail to show up for my commitments And so this belief that is perpetuated by AA, that there's a difference between, quote, normies and alcoholics, prevents normal drinkers from recognizing that they too are vulnerable to dependency and addiction. You know, the truth is anybody can qualify for rehab. You know, addiction to alcohol is an equal opportunity disorder. But line number seven, is that quitting drinking somehow means that you have to admit that you're an alcoholic. 
The term alcoholic is a cultural term, not a medical diagnosis. And, you know, these days we live in a create your own lifestyle brand society. I don't consider myself an alcoholic in any shape or form. The label feels so overly dramatic because it doesn't describe me. Yes, when I look back, I would admit if I, if I needed to explain myself of my story, I could say I was an alcoholic or I was drinking, my behavior was alcoholic. I, I don't even know what you'd want to say there. But from day one, I thought, why would I start calling myself an alcoholic now after I've stopped drinking? That doesn't make any sense to me. And it just goes to show that alcoholic speaks to your identity and your identity, you, you don't have to identify with alcohol. You know, whether you identify, which we probably did used to identify as a drinker, being a not drinker doesn't mean you're an alcoholic. Like the world does not revolve around freaking alcohol, people. You know, I don't define myself as a non-dairy drinker or, you know, I don't, you know, I don't join high fructose corn syrup free anonymous and go talk about my cravings for sugar. I don't have them anymore because I don't eat sugar. You know what I'm saying? Um, the official lexicon, you know, in the DSM-5, which is the mental health disorders that come out, I don't know if they update it every five or 10 years, but they now refer to alcoholism as alcohol use disorder, which is a very simple diagnosis. It just means that somebody has an impaired ability to stop or control their use despite negative consequences. An even simpler definition is, is that you have alcohol use disorder if you are drinking more than you think you should be drinking. So it's very, very subjective. It means that with, around alcohol, there's some measure of compulsive behavior. You know, it's a behavior. It's not a mythical class of disordered people. And that was one of the things that really turned me off when I was attending AA meetings. I'd sit there and listen to people say, yeah, I was an alcoholic from the time I was three. They hadn't had a drink till like they were 15, but they knew they were an alcoholic, or they can look back and see that their alcoholic tendencies started at three. No, I'm sorry. That's a bridge too far to just huge assumptions. Now, a lot of people who move into sobriety, some of them really enjoy identifying as an alcoholic and talking about and languaging their past, you know, through that filter of, oh, this all makes sense now. And that's fine. Like there is zero, like t you can tell me to shut the fuck up about your story. Like that's totally fine. It's just, if you're not a person who wants to see things like that, it's important for everybody to acknowledge that your story is whatever you say it is. We all write our own stories. Um, so you, you don't have to identify as an alcoholic. You don't have to identify as an addict. You can just, you know, kind of put your drink down and move the hell on with your life. So just to kind of wrap this up, I was for all, you know, extensive purposes from the outside, I was very healthy 
up until towards the very end of my drinking. I still qualified as healthy. I mean, hell, I took an, a life insurance blood test and you know all the things to get a life insurance policy. And I got, like as a 46 year old, heavy, 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 heavy drinker, I still passed to the point where I got a, a $250,000 life insurance policy for like $175 a year. All of my metrics were, were good. So I didn't really understand that my drinking habits had much greater consequences than just the occasional hangover. I had no idea that my the very way I thought, not just about alcohol, but about everything, was changing. I was experiencing you know, nervous system dysregulation. My body was in chronic stress overload and burnout. My stress resilience was really, really low. And I had no idea that I was actually addicted to alcohol. I didn't understand that I was experiencing withdrawal symptoms when I wasn't drinking. And that's why I craved alcohol and why I thought that alcohol would solve my problems. I didn't realize alcohol was the problem. Um, that's why I thought my life was getting so much darker and more stressful was because of the way alcohol was changing my dopamine receptors and the high levels of cortisol in my body. You know, I just truly thought that every morning when I woke up with a zero blood alcohol level, that I was resetting the scale and then wondering why I was experiencing so much agitation and anxiety and apathy in my life. Addiction to anything is a downward spiral. You need more and more to get the same hits, dopamine hits, or the same pleasure in your brain. And the side effects get get greater and greater, obviously, because the more you drink, the more poison has a negative impact on your body. The good news is that sobriety is also an upward spiral. And so all of the energy that you put in, let's just say in the early days, it's equal. Like the amount of energy it takes to manage your drinking problem, get through the hangover, detox to retox, deal with all the bullshit in your life, you know, manage your consumption, make sure you're not driving, you know, make sure you didn't text anybody, like all the shit you have to do to manage your alcohol use disorder. You're basically just expending a shitload of energy every day to keep from getting sucked into the drain. Now, let's say in the early days or sometime within the first year of sobriety, as it gets easier and then it gets harder and then it gets easier, it's cyclical, but it's an upward spiral. And so all the energy you expend on your health and wellness and crawling out of the hole that you drank yourself into, that is going to have a return on investment. So the energy that you're expending to stay out of the drain, it's wasted and also eventually you're gonna get sucked into the drain. That's how addiction works. But all the energy it takes to recover, uh, it, it just keeps on giving. It, it, it just makes your life better and better and better. So is sobriety hard? Well, objectively I can tell you it's easier than managing alcohol use disorder, but let's, let's admit for the record that it is difficult. It is difficult to physically heal and mentally and emotionally and spiritually heal. Yeah, but choose your heart, you know? If life is gonna be hard either way, 
at from this moment in your life moving forward if you continue to drink your heart is wasted you're wasting your pretty if you will and or you can stop what you're doing when you realize you're in a hole stop digging and start crawling out and know that the effort and the tears and just all the stuff that you have to go through is going to move you forward it's going to get you somewhere and so if and when you are looking to challenge the belief or the thought in your head that it's so hard to quit drinking it's so hard to keep drinking don't think of this as giving up alcohol you're escaping you are gaining you are growing evolving you are freeing yourself from the prison of addiction thanks for listening if you liked what you heard please take the time to rate and review the show so that other people can find it i really appreciate it And check out the show notes for any resources I've mentioned, including links to follow me on Instagram and join my private Facebook group where I connect with my tribe every day. I love it in there and we have so much fun. And finally, if you're ready to redefine sobriety so that you can feel excited about quitting drinking, follow the link to my 10 Days to Spontaneous Sobriety course where I will help you eliminate, eradicate, obliterate, cancel your desire to drink because looking and feeling your best is addictive too. I'll see you soon.